Welcome to the Tweed Couch Guitar Therapy Session, where we talk about all things guitar related. My name is Dr. T, and I am not a licensed therapist, but I play one on a podcast. Today, on the Tweed Couch, we are counseling on finding your frequency in a band. Over the years, I've played in many bands and had many different gigs. Some were just me, the guitar player, holding down the melody and some rhythm. Others had me as part of an ensemble of musicians where there were multiple guitar players, keyboard players, singers, and percussionists. And some had me as the sound person mixing monitors or the front of house, which is basically the mix that the audience hears. When I was 19, I was hired to be a second guitar player in an already established band to play three gigs in a bar. The pay was terrible, but I was young and I wanted the experience. I needed to get together with the band and practice, and so we went to the drummer's house. The band was five people. Drums, bass, two guitars, counting me, and a keyboard slash singer. The established guitar player in the band had a Mesa Boogie dual rectifier into a 412 cabinet with vintage 30 speakers. His sound was huge. It was big, it was deep, it was warm and full. I played a Fender Solid State Princeton Chorus Amp with two 10-inch speakers. My tone, in comparison, was bright, very mid-focused, and clearer, although I used a visual sound Jekyll and Hyde overdrive with it. By all accounts, his rig was just more. More power, more air movement, more expensive, more impressive. Simply put, it was just more. We sound checked and started to practice. At about two songs into the rehearsal, the guitar player had to turn up his Mesa amp. Next song, he turned it up more. Next song, even more. Finally, the singer stopped everything and asked, Why is everything so loud? The singer looked at me, which I can only imagine was due to the fact that I was the only thing that changed from the last rehearsal. I pointed at the other guitar player and said, I'm at the same volume as soundcheck. He's the one that keeps turning up. The other guitar player was offended and pointed at me and said all he could hear was my guitar. I looked at my amp and said, I'm at volume 2 out of 10. What's your amp at? He didn't have numbers on the dials of his amp, but he said, this thing is almost dimed, which meant that it was close to full volume on his 100 watt amp. Well, how could this be? Why did he have to keep turning up? Was I really the problem? How did my little $300 25-watt solid-state amp beat out his massive $3,000 100-watt tube amp in volume? Well, we will discuss this and more on this episode of The Tweed Couch. Well, as you probably have already guessed, I lost that gig. We finished rehearsal, and later that evening I got a call from the singer saying that they would go in a different direction. And honestly, I was heartbroken because I wanted the experience of playing in a bar band. But what I didn't understand at the time was that what I learned was a valuable lesson in guitar tone and how to react to when someone is challenging your understanding of the tone as a musician. First, I should start off with why I lost that gig. Keep in mind, I was 19 and very inexperienced in a band setting. My understanding of tone was trying to recreate Stevie Ray Vaughan or Leonard Skinner in my bedroom. I had played in two other garage bands by this point, 
but it was really just something to do with our time during the summer or after graduating high school. My first mistake? Pointing a finger at an established band member and blaming him, even if he was the problem. My second mistake was not being able to offer up a valid reason to why he had to turn up his amp. You see, there are many reasons why guitars get lost in the mix. I'll start with the main reason. Not playing in your frequency range, or as I call it, band frequency interference. Let's use my quote-unquote fail-as-a-hired-gun example from earlier. We had drums, bass, two guitars, and one vocal. The drums were acoustic and not mic'd. He had them tuned relatively high, so the kick drum was low but real punchy. The floor tom and the high toms were tuned tight and punchy. The snare was bright and cracky. So essentially, he preferred his drums tuned in that higher end of the lows and lower end of the mid frequencies. The bass player used a pick, and he kept his tone knob all the way up. I mean, this was the late 90s after all. If you aren't trying to sound like Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers or Mike Herrera of MXPX, then you're pretty much irrelevant in the music industry, right? Oh, how dumb we were. Okay, well, so basically, another person is fighting in that spectrum of the highest of the lows and the lower of the mids. The main guitar player used his Mesa Boogie amplifier. And you could tell that his main influences were Mark Tremonti of Then Creed and Tom Morello of Rage Against the Machine. So basically, he liked heavy, dark, thick tone with scooped mids and lots of gain. Then there was the keyboard player whose biggest downfall was that he was classically trained. He played piano with his left hand and his right hand far apart from each other. He liked his bass lines on his left hand, and he liked his melodies on his right. And in between was his voice, which I can only assume was him channeling Scott Stapp of Creed and Eddie Vedder of Pearl Jam kind of mixed into one. Once again, this was the late 90s. Don't judge too hard, please. So let me break this down simply. In a full spectrum of audio, you have lows, low mids, high mids, and highs. If you were following along in this scenario, then you should already have guessed why the guitar player was having such a hard time hearing himself. Because the most saturated frequency in that band was low mids, and that is exactly where he sat. He had to fight a little with the drummer, and a little bit with the bass player, and a little bit with the keyboard player, and some with the vocals. And in this, we find out the real problem. The problem in this band was that they sounded good in the bedroom by themselves, but it did not translate well to the live music setting. The drums sounded good on its own. The keys with the vocals, great. Guitar, awesome. Altogether, mush. So when I joined in and the other guitar player could hear my parts better, he thought I was way too loud. And the fact was that he really just needed to stop scooping his mids and he needed to turn down his lows. My frequency was mostly in the high mids, which meant my guitar frequencies cut through the rest of the band relatively easy, making it easier to hear. Now, oddly enough, 
it was actually because my amp was terrible at producing big low end that it set well in the mix. For me, it was an accident, an accident that ended up shaping the way I look at my tone and my layer in a band forever. Now, although this example explains how a guitar can get lost in the mix of a band, there are actually a few other reasons out there. I refer to my next example as double guitar frequency interference. This is different than band frequency interference. Like in my previous example, in a band setting, your keyboard could be squashing the bass. This is why keyboards in a band should not play the lower register when the whole band is playing. But in this new scenario, you have two or more guitar players that are playing the same type of gear. So let me explain double guitar frequency interference. Let's say that I am playing a Gibson Les Paul with a Proco Rat, which is a relatively aggressive overdrive pedal, into a Marshall JCM 800 half stack run mostly clean. If you've never heard it, this is actually a glorious rock and roll sound. Now let's say I have another guitarist in the band playing a Gibson SG with a Moore Black Secret, which is essentially a Proco Rat clone, and that's going to go into a Marshall half stack run clean as well. In order for me to get my guitar to cut through the mix, I will have to change my EQ. I mean, there's no way around it, and the odds are, in order for me to cut through the mix, I will have to be making my amp brighter and brighter, and the overdrive will have to have the treble cranked, or in this case, because it's a rat pedal, the filter would have to get turned down, especially if we are both playing a lot of chords or my lead lines follow the chord patterns. Really, in this case, the best thing I could do is not change my EQ, but instead change out a piece of equipment. Instead of a Les Paul, I could use a Tele or a Strat or maybe something with P90s. Single coils react and feel very different than humbuckers, which translates nicely to a live setting. I could also change the pedal. Rat pedals are known for being big and hairy sounding, but a Wampler Paisley Drive or a Zvex Box of Rock is known for its clear overdrive tones due to its natural frequency range. Of course, there is also the amp or the speaker. A Fender Deluxe Reverb doesn't break up or have the same mid-frequency as a Marshall. They usually also don't have the same type of speaker in them, which can affect the character of the amp. Okay, case in point would be ACDC. Angus plays a Marshall Super Lead into greenback-loaded speaker cabinets. Malcolm, or now his son Steve, plays a Marshall Super Bass head and a Marshall JTM 45 head into Vintage 30 loaded speaker cabinets. Both are Marshall heads, both are Celestian speakers, but both are easy to distinguish between when Angus starts to play his solos. This is because Angus uses humbuckers in his SG guitars, while Malcolm, now Steve, uses filtertrons in his Gretsch guitars. Humbuckers are full and mid-rangey, and filtertrons are clearer and twangier. Also, greenbacks have a lower wattage and they distort quicker. Vintage 30 speakers are known for being tighter and more focused. And then of course there's the amplifiers. Marshall Super Leads, they compress quickly at a high volume, and Super Basses and JTMs, they're known for retaining their headroom much longer. So what's my point? My point is this. If you have two guitar players in a band and both are playing similar pickup types, both play similar drive pedals, both play similar amps, both use similar speakers, 
you're going to have a hard time distinguishing between the two guitars because they share too much of the same frequency rather than complement each other as best as they can. So how do you know you have a problem with double guitar frequency interference? Well, first, you find that you are having a hard time finding yourself or distinguishing between the other guitars in your monitors. When this happens, you find yourself forced to run stereo monitors. Maybe pan one guitar to one ear and one to the other. But if you don't run in-ears or you play with one ear out, which is a terrible idea and we'll go into that another time, then you may find yourself playing a lot louder than normal and trying to bring your volume up over the top to power through the frequency cancellation that's going on. It's kind of a physics thing and we'll go into that another time. But please know that that is not the way that you solve this problem. A statement I'll hear guitar players say is, the sound guy doesn't have me loud enough in the house. Why do I even play if no one can hear me? But really what is happening is that the front of house technician has to pick between one guitar because when both go in the mix, everything becomes muddy. Usually the one that gets picked is the person who holds a better tempo or is the one that gave the sound person the least amount of grief. So how do you fix this? It's a lot easier than you think. You just coordinate. Have a plan. I remember playing at a church in Colleyville, Texas, where we could have anywhere between one and three electric guitar players. I would text the other guys before practice and ask which guitar they were planning on bringing. If they were bringing humbuckers and single coils, then I would bring filtertrons or P90s. Sometimes one of them would go acoustic on a few occasions, it came down to the use of a capo to change the frequencies one guitar was producing in accordance with the other. If you are struggling with double guitar frequency interference, communication is the first step to fixing the problem. And I guarantee the band will sound much better. If you are looking for a way to help support the Tweed Couch and it costs no money to you, then check out our YouTube channel and become a subscriber. Also, you can tell someone about the podcast and share an episode with them. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. Since I just brought up acoustic instruments, let's talk about that. It can be really tough to get them to cut through a mix. I mean, how do you really change the frequency? I mean, sure, you can plug it in, but I'm talking about just unplugged. My favorite way to change a frequency with an acoustic instrument is to use a capo. A capo changes the overall tuning of the guitar up in half-step increments by the use of a clamp designed for a guitar. Just put this specialized clamp on the fret and ta-da! It's now tuned higher. Of course, it does have its limitations, and it does mean that you need to transpose the chords you play in order to match the key of the other players. Another thing you could do to help is an alternative tuning like drop D or dadgad. Your mileage may vary, but it's a really nice way to add some depth in a song. So let's say you have very respectful, frequency-complementing bandmates. They stay in their lane, they fine-tune their playing and their gear appropriately to one another. Why else could you be having guitar frequency issues? Well, I hate to say it, but the problem could be you. The best example I can think of deals with modeling gear. Let's say you have a Kemper or a Line 6 Helix or Pod Go, an Axe Effects, a Head Rush, Eleven Rack, Strymon, Zoom, 
Joyo, Ox, whatever amp simulator that you're using. EQing it at home using headphones and studio monitors may be the reason why you are having a tough time hearing yourself cut through a mix in a live situation. Sure, you can dial in great tone using these options, and I'm sure it's killer sounding in your bedroom. But when you play live, you aren't playing to the audience through headphones or studio monitors. You are playing through PA speakers. For a long time, I've been a proponent of using a 10-inch or a 12-inch PA speaker like a TurboSound M10 or a QSC K12 as a reference at home for your amp simulator. I've been doing that for years and rarely do I ever have to tweak very much when I actually get to the venue. Actually, when you really think about it, this makes a lot of sense. Some studio monitors have extended frequencies from that of a normal PA speaker. Also, PA speakers have much larger drivers and tweeters pushing the sound, which changes the dynamic of the audio. I mean, I love using in-ear monitors, but this is a fact that I have come to deal with. The tones coming through my in-ear monitors are not the same as the ones that are going to the front of house audience. And it's not an issue of quality, and it's not an issue of a sound tech. It's just the physics of how the speaker works and the way a room handles frequencies. Also, it is the sound technician's job to make sure that all audio is mixed well and intelligibly. If your guitar takes up too much of the frequency span, or the wrong frequency span, then they will start EQing the guitar to make it fit. If you refuse, then they will just turn you down in the mix. I have run sound a number of times, and one of the biggest pet peeves I have is when someone standing on stage criticizes my mix on the front of house. Let's think about this. They are standing on stage. They have monitors blaring at them or in-ears plugging their ears. How on earth do they know what it sounds like to the audience? Do you dial the EQ of your amp standing 10 feet behind it? Well, why not? Because it doesn't give you an accurate reflection. So quit trying to tell the sound tech how to do their job. You aren't there in front of the speakers. You are behind them. One of my first touring bands I ever played with was a ministry band that spent basically a year touring around North Dakota, South Dakota, Illinois, Iowa, Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Canada. At the beginning of the tour, I would put on my wireless and I would physically walk out into the audience to hear what the guitar sounded like. I will tell you this, what it sounded like on stage was miles apart from the clarity of the front of house PA. This was a valuable lesson in trusting the sound tech and letting them do their job. So all that to say, if the sound tech is having a hard time mixing your guitar, whether it be analog, digital, or both, go out front, not standing on the stage, and hear what it sounds like. You may need to do some tweaking before the sound tech does it for you. A good practice to get into is when you arrive at a new venue is to ask the sound tech to give you a flat EQ. This gives you a normal foundation in order to set you up for success. Okay, it's that time again when we need to discuss what is your goal and what is your budget. If you are a hobbyist and it extends to playing out, like at a friend's house, coffee shop, church, whatever, 
make sure that you find a frequency that sets you up to be heard and doesn't step on the tone of other players. Know that when you focus on big low end or shrilly highs, you have set yourself up to get lost in a band and have a bad time. If you do start to lose yourself in a mix, ask yourself if it is what you are playing or if it's the frequency that you are playing in. Don't blame the other band members, but instead work with them to find your layer and where to sit in a mix. Maybe you need a capo. Maybe you need to just simply play fewer strings or single note lines. Remember, simpler is better than overplaying. If your budget allows, look into a different guitar or pedals or amp to fill the sound that is missing. Of course, if you don't have it in your budget, then try using a different pickup or playing cleaner or dirtier when someone else is playing. If you are a professional, all the above mentioned is still true, but you have an added stress. If you want to keep playing the gig that you are being paid for and it is part of your livelihood, then you need to be a team player. Work as a team and do your research on the band. If there is another guitarist, find out what they play and be a compliment, not an interference. If you are the one hiring another guitarist, make sure you let them know what you want them to play and the role you expect them to do. If your budget allows, have a couple of guitars, different pedals, and amps to fill any number of voids a band has. I find a Les Paul and a Tele can do quite a bit of range. A PRS with coil splitting can be a decent all-in-one option too. A multi-effects pedal has a lot of options on the fly, and having a Fender, Vox, Marshall, or any mix of the two give a range of tones to complement any other guitar player on a gig. A nice budget option is to get something like an amp profiler or an amp modeler. These are great options for people who play in multiple different bands and might need a Marshall one weekend, but then they might need a Fender in another one, or possibly they need a Vox and they need a Fender, or maybe they just really like Matchless and they really like Bad Cat, but they don't necessarily have the money to shell out for those types of things. As we bring the session to a close, remember you are responsible for your own tone. Be a good bandmate and be prepared and ready to change if needed. Don't blame the sound tech for your frequency issues. Instead, work with the sound person from an area of respect and an effort to make the best mix possible. Also, understand your gear and your layer. This will help you work with other musicians to find out how to get the best sound possible out of the music. And no matter what, remember, you are the guitar player and you are worth hearing. Well, that concludes our session of the Tweed Couch Guitar Therapy Session. My name is Dr. T, and remember, I'm not a licensed therapist, but I have fun talking gear. Until next time.